What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions preview podcast. It is week 13. Six of these left, Ryan, before we are done. Um, and as I just sent out on twi- Twitter, this might be the biggest matchup between four and seven teams you'll find. Uh, I, I there's no arguing that just you <laughs> saying that there's only six games made me really sad. It kind of made and, me a little sad too. And it's such a departure from so many, so many of the years past, right? Like it was kind of like, thank God the season's kind of coming to an end. And I know you're the guy who's always like, no football means sad, Jeremy, but like <laughs> no football right now means sad Ryan too. And you know, four and seven football teams getting jazzed about that in December. I'm all about it. Why not? Why not? Uh, let me introduce myself and you as well. Uh, my name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the producer over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online. That voice you just heard was senior editor of Pride of Detroit at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. Hello again. Hello again. And and, and thanks for the proper introduction. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm super excited to get to the guests that we have. Yeah. Um, yeah. A great follow on Twitter. Uh, I Honestly, one of my favorites, and I'm not just saying this to, to butter him up and hoping that he says nice things about the Lions, which he actually has all year, by the way. Um, he is uh, he formerly worked, uh, maybe still does work for Football Outsiders, um, does some work with Big Cat Country in the past, but now is full time at the mothership at SP Nation. It's JP Acosta. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for all the compliments. Thank you for saying I'm a great Twitter follow. I've tried really hard since coming <laughs> In like a high school football only where I'd post my huddle highlights and <laughs> now actually like posting content but thanks for having me on this feels like a game between like the people's NFL teams like, <laughs> that's all, right you have all the good teams and you have all the really bad teams like the boring teams that like cares about like no disrespect to the Texans but like those are the boring team bad teams like the Jaguars and the Lions feel like the people's NFL teams like we want to see these people like we want to see these teams win yeah and and listen, like the last three or four weeks have been great for both these teams. The Jaguars are two and one in their last three and, and the Lions are three and one in their last four. And I think the excitement with the Jaguars and, and we'll start with when the Jaguars have the ball in this matchup, as we normally do. Um, Trevor Lawrence time. I mean, he just had kind of a, a breakout performance, you know, watching that. It almost brought me back to the days of, of Matthew Stafford and her, his first fourth quarter comeback and and seeing just like Jaguars fans elate. That, that this moment has finally come. Is that kind of what that moment felt like last week? I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I shed tears watching <laughs> the replay of that game-winning drive. That was the most impressive thing I've seen from a Jaguars quarterback, possibly in my entire life of being a fan. Like, it's so cool to see the development of Trevor Lawrence from a rookie to going into this first year with Doug Peterson, where you're seeing, like, even as a rookie, you saw the process and behind what he did like the stats didn't look that great but when you watch the games you could tell the process was there you could see a very good quarterback there and then 
seeing it now, like you're seeing the results catch up to the process where now I'm not sitting on Twitter having to defend Trevor Lawrence from everybody on Twitter online because he had like one, he had a few bad games. So I'm like, hey, just watch the games, watch the tape. You can see there is a good quarterback there. Do you, you want to follow up a little bit more about Trevor Lawrence, Jeremy? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess where where specifically have you seen that growth? What what part of his game has gotten better? And I guess what part still kind of has some room to grow so far? Yeah. So I think the for the most part, I think this this kind of a cop out answer where I can say like <laughs> the process has been the same. Like he's always been this caliber of guy. It's just as a rookie, there would be the rookie mistake compounded with playing with Laquan Treadwell as your wide receiver one. These things happen. There was a game last year where Laquan Treadwell and LaVisca Chenault ran into each other on a route, and it created a meme that was, like, really viral. So there are things like that happening. When, and then this year, going in, adding Christian Kirk, adding Zay Jones, adding Evan Ingram, you're now getting guys who can at least widen the margin for error a little bit. I talked about in an article that I wrote for SB Nation about the margin for error for young quarterbacks, especially on these bad teams. Even now, like the margin for error for Trevor Lawrence is very small because he has to make these throws. Everything is a tough throw. I think Nate Tice, the athletic, described it as like a basketball player who only shoots contested mid-range jumpers. That is the Jaguars <laughs> offense. It's all contested <laughs> mid-range jumpers. So I think if we're going to get into the nitty gritty of where he improved, just the accuracy across the board has yeah. improved. The, tar- the on-target throw percentage has been up four points according to Sports Info Solutions. He's now top 10 in EPA per attempt. He's top 10 in DYAR. Like this is coming from last year where he was near the bottom or at the bottom. And now he's up to top 10 quarterback in terms of these stats. I think one area where he can continue to improve is the, the mistakes, the, the turnovers. I think a lot of it, when you go back to the Broncos game in London, the red zone interception where he's rolling out and he threw it directly to Justin Simmons, really bad play. They called the same play against the Ravens in late in the first half, like going into the two-minute drive. Trevor Lawrence is rolling out. He has nothing, and he throws it away. When I tell you, Jaguars Twitter erupted. Because, <laughs> like, yes, you are seeing the growth. You are seeing the growth from this guy where he's like, okay, I don't have this throw. Don't force it. You can just throw it away. There are still times even during the Ravens game where you were like, hey, this throw is probably a little forced. You don't have to throw this. And there are times where he's still trying to hero ball it a little bit. And that's that's to be expected from a guy who was at Clemson. He was the hero at Clemson. And in his rookie year in Jacksonville, he had to be the hero on every play. So I think cutting down on a little bit of those hero ball turnovers and we're getting we're going to see a legitimate top 10 quarterback if he cuts down on those consistently. I know personally, JP, that that's what has Jeremy most nervous about this matchup because I, I know in, in weeks past now, Jeremy said, like, I'd much rather the Lions play a good defense rather than play a good offense. And that's kind of like what Trevor Lawrence is, you know, at the helm of right now. And and some, some questions just about, I, I think, going into this season, especially with the free agent splashes that they made, most notably Christian Kirk this offseason, like, I think everybody on Twitter just lost their minds and it seemed like early returns were good. Um, but just how has Christian Kirk kind of lived up to getting that mega contract and and maybe some of the other, you know, 
targets and some of the other weapons that Jacksonville has there. They have a couple of former Lions that are now all dispersed across the league as as, as the Matt Patricia era kind of, you know, spit like, you know, Marvin Jones over here and Jamal Agnew goes down south. And um, how, how are those guys doing and, and how are they kind of supplementing uh, Trevor Lawrence's rise? So it's very funny with Jamal Agnew. Jamal Agnew is probably the second most explosive target on offense. Mm-hmm. So they will get him in the jet sweeps. They'll get him. I think there was a there was a touchdown against the Ravens where they brought him into motion and then returned them back and he caught a touchdown pass. You're going to see a lot of that from Jamal Agnew. He's going to be the motion guy. He's going to be the get the ball in his hands, get some blockers in front of him and let him run because that is what he can do. He'll also be an ace in the return game, which is what he brought from Detroit. He was always that guy. Marvin Jones is such an interesting case because you can tell that he's not the same Marvin Jones as like in his peak. And that's what you expect when you get older, but he is still Trevor Lawrence's most trusted target. When you look at the games that the Jaguars have played, when it's third down or when it's fourth down and it's a gotta have it situation, he is throwing to Marvin Jones. It's so funny sometimes watching him catch passes from Trevor Lawrence because sometimes he'll catch it where it looks like he's taking like a gunshot to the chest where the ball <laughs> hits him in the chest and he flies back five yards <laughs> or makes the catch. And then sometimes he'll like make the catch, the game winning ca- touchdown catch gets the Ravens where he gets a shin in bounds. And I'm like, wow, man, I didn't think that was in the bag right now. <laughs> but it's so fun watching these group of guys and just imagining what a Calvin Ridley you can add next year, because now they start to fit together really well. Christian Kirk, I think a lot of the blow up was you're paying 72 million for a guy who's exclusively a slot receiver. And initially I was like, yeah, he's a slot receiver. You're paying 72 million for him. Seems kind of weird, but I think he's very quietly lived up to that contract because what Doug Peterson has done. And I have so much compliments respect for Doug Peterson and press Taylor and what he's done with the offense and with the personnel that he has. He's not, he's not trying to make Christian Kirk into a number one outside receiver. He's not trying to reinvent the wheel here. He's just putting Christian Kirk in the best positions to succeed. There'll be times in games where they'll have him in the backfield and they'll motion him out to the slot where you're creating matchups against man coverage, where if you have a linebacker or a slot DB on Christian Kirk, He's going to take that take that chance every single time. So I think the Christian Kirk signing has worked out fairly well for what Christian Kirk is. But you can still see like this team is still a wide receiver one away from actually being a legitimate threat on offense. And I think that's also really exciting because if Calvin Ridley comes in and he is the guy that we all think he was, if he's the guy that he was two years ago, There's your wide receiver one. You can go get another receiver in the draft if you want, but now you're starting to fill out the other pieces that you need on the offense. It's kind of like if you're like building a car and you have all the other stuff, but you just need one more, like you need a really good, a really good engine to fuel this offense or something. Calvin really can be that engine. You can, you can bring some other people in, you can have like the outs. You can have the cool little uh the dice in the mirror. You can have uh you can have the uh wrap on the steering wheel. You can have the bass bumping, but you need an engine still. It's still an engine. It's, it's fine to admit, but it's really cool just seeing how Doug Peterson has used the personnel that he has, and it's been so fun to see during the season. Man, Jeremy, bring, bring JP, some car talk back. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> J- JP doesn't even know that we are famous for car talk because we have no idea what <laughs> cars, cars are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love um, it. 
But let, let's talk about some of those other complementary pieces that aren't necessarily the skill positions. Um, and 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 I want to actually move to to the running game. And I know that that involves Travis Etienne, Etienne, who is a skill position player. But I think it was it was Dan Campbell this week who said, despite like all the flashiness of of all these wide receivers and 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 a, and a young quarterback, it's really the offense kind of runs through the running game. Like that's still kind of the focus. Is that is that an accurate assessment? And and can you? Can you kind of explain how the running game has been working and maybe complements the passing game? Yeah, they very much want to run the ball and they want to run it. This is a still it's still a Doug Peterson team. It is yeah. very inside zone, split zone. They've done a lot of fun stuff with like trap runs where they'll pull one of the guards and then they'll have like Chris Manners to tight end, fold in and block a tight end. That's been one of their most explosive run plays this entire season. And it's been really fun to see because Brandon Scherf has played really, really well in Jacksonville. He has been one of the best right guards in football just from watching him play and watching the stats as they develop over time and how important he is to that run game. If they're going to pull somebody, they're pulling Brandon Scherf or they're pulling the guard, Ben Barch. I think the passing game, it can get a little questionable. It can get a little iffy. I think they're very low on pressure rate and very low on sack rate because one thing that Trevor Lawrence does really well is avoid taking really bad sacks. He avoids taking sacks. That was one thing that he was really good at as a rookie. But I think if Detroit wants to win this game, I think the weakest point along this offensive line is the center and the left guard, the center, especially Luke Fortner is a rookie coming from Kentucky. He has been up and down to be nice. He has been, He's been overwhelmed at points and I get it because sometimes you're going to go up against Chris Jones and he's going to win that matchup nine times out of 10, but it's been really, it's been really odd seeing him struggle with power where guys are just bull rushing him and getting into his chest and he's losing those matchups. He's losing in the run game occasionally. So if you really want to beat the Jaguars up front, it's going to be over the center against Luke Fortner or occasionally you're going to get those edges. You're going to get the edges sometimes because the tackles they're, they're also up and down, but I guess their consistency, their variance isn't as hot as Luke Fortner. And and to, to follow up on that, like ETN obviously is having a a really good statistical year. And and in fact, the Jaguars overall look pretty good statistically uh, on the ground, but then you look at their football outsiders, DVOA numbers, and they're a little bit lower. And I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that has more to do with like their short yardage situations where they're not particularly good at. And, and that would make sense if, you know, the center is struggling. Oh, absolutely. They are horrendous in short yardage and red zone situations. Mm-hmm. It was it was pretty much a meme for for like the entire like first half of the season where once they cross the 20, they become one of the worst teams in the NFL offensively where they just can't score. It was a problem in the preseason where they were kicking field goals instead of scoring touchdowns. You're seeing it now with them kicking field goals instead of touchdowns. If you go from 20 to 20, Jaguars are great offense. <laughs> they stop functioning in the red zone. It's wild to see. And it largely, largely has to do with the fact that they really can't run it inside behind the center, behind the left guard very well. But like I said, they have... Brandon Scherf playing at a really high level. I think Cam Robinson's playing really well as a run blocker. Jawan Taylor's played arguably better than Cam Robinson as a tackle, but there are going to be points where you can beat them both. Like Cam Robinson, Jawan Taylor, they're they're very they're beatable on certain occasions on pass rush reps. So I think the Jaguars' offensive line has been has improved, but there are still very obvious weak points. 
If there's one last thing that I can that I can ask to, to wrap things up here, JP, and, and it's to talk about a little bit more about the Jaguars depth at running back. They, they made that decision to move on from James Robinson. Um, and, you know, last week I was watching the end of that Ravens and Jaguars game because who wasn't? Um, but Jamichael Hasty, like that guy runs mean, like he runs angry. And if ETN is a little bit limited, as a Lions fan, like I'm not super excited about that guy running the football either. So, like, can you talk a little bit about what what his forte is? I think Jamichael Hasty is definitely more of a he's not in the same vein as ETN, but he's more of a pass catcher. He's a get him outside the tackles and try and get him in a foot race with defenders. He can win that. I think we're going to see Daryl Henderson possibly be active. They got him off of waivers from the Rams. He is a much different back from ETN and Jamichael Hasty. He is, he's the singles hitter. If you need three yards, he'll get you three yards. If you need six yards, he'll get you three yards. But with Tra- Travis ETN, Jamichael Hasty, they are the home run hitters, Travis ETN especially. But if ETN can't go, Jamichael Hasty can definitely do a lot in the outside run game and he can do a lot in the pass in uh pass re- receiving. All right, let's wrap things up there for the Jaguars offense. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Jaguars defense going up against the Lions offense and maybe a Lions offense that's getting a couple weapons back and maybe a big one, probably not the big one. We'll see. We'll be right back here on First Bite. A lot of tease. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back here on First Bite, previewing Lions-Jaguars with J.P. Acosta of SBNation.com. Let's talk about the Jaguars' defense going against the Lions' offense. And one of the more interesting stats that that I've found with this Jaguars' defense is uh, related to their pass rush because... Basically, pick whatever advantage stand you want, and you'll find either it's a really good unit or a really bad unit because third in sacks, or third few sacks, I should say, but 10th in pressure percentage, uh, seventh in pro, I'm sorry, pass rush win rate, but 17th in PFF grade. So, what's the story here, JP? I feel like that stat says a lot about just the Jaguars team as a whole, where you're okay. looking at like point differential, but they're four and seven. But 
I think the pass rush stat, I think it definitely has to do with the defense as a whole. You know, there's this entire thing among like defensive coordinators, just defensive thought in the NFL where it's like pass the race, the relationship, excuse me, of pass rush to coverage. You can have great pass rush, but if they're not getting home in time or if the receiver's open, the time to throw is going to be really fast. They're going to get the the quarterback's going to get the ball out quick because somebody's open. So I think. From watching the Jaguars, I think there are occasions where the Jaguars pass rush looks really, really good. I think when they're able to get the quarterback to hold on to the ball, the pass rush looks looks great. I think DeWan Smoot plays really, really well as their pass rusher in a rotation. Josh Allen has his moments. And then Trevon Walker, I think he's still coming along as a pass rusher. I don't th- I think that was always going to be the MO for him coming into the draft where you're going to need a little bit of time, a little bit of seasoning for him to get to the point to be a number one pass rusher. And I think that's kind of that's kind of a little bit why they're the third fewest in sacks, but they're 10th in pressure percentage where you're getting there, but the ball's already out. So I think it's I think that can be kind of explained by the relationship between pass rush and pass coverage. It was the same thing for the Jaguars last year, where their their pass rush and their pass rush win rate, their pressure percentage was really high. They even blitzed a lot more last year. They don't blitz very much this year. But the pass coverage just has to be better. Well, so, JP, last segment, you talked a little bit about how um, kind of just like pleasantly surprised you've been in, in the, the good play from the offensive tackles. And that was one of the positions I think a lot of people had circled for the Jaguars at the top of the draft. But then they go Trayvon Walker. And, you know, you just mentioned like, that development what what needs to happen for Trayvon Walker to take those next steps like where does he need to improve in his game and like do do you still feel like maybe ultimately that was the right pick because I don't think Aiden Hutchinson thinks so (laughs) um I still think it's the right pick right now I think he is a much better complement to Josh Allen in terms of what they bring to a team. I think Javon Walker as a pass rusher can improve in hand usage. There'll be times where he flashes where like he'll get a really good bull rush. He'll just one arm, just push it off the tackle into the quarterback. And I'm like, whoa, can you continue to do that every snap? Or, I mean, even against the Colts in week two, he had a ridiculous spin move that he put on a right on the right tackle. And I was like, man, can we see this every week? I need more of that. Like, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to hit the button. Give me more of that. But it just hasn't come consistently. So I think he just needs more consistency and a better pass rush plan when it comes to being a pass rusher. As a run defender, he's been really good. I think that was one of the things where you're going into the draft, you're thinking like, yeah, that's that's what you're going to get from Trevon Walker as a run defender. He's going to be an ace run defender. He's been really good against the run for the Jaguars this year. A team that, I mean, for the most part, They've been pretty good against the run. Their rush de- their DVOA against the run is 13th right now in the NFL, and their pass defense is 30th. So that kind of tells you where they are as a team right now. But their run defense has been fairly good throughout, throughout the entire season. It's just they can't get home, and that's because they can't cover anybody for real. Well, let's let's get into that then. Um, the Lions are obviously getting um probably they're they're probably the healthiest at the receiver that they've been in a very long time they're dj chark and and josh reynolds aren't aren't even on the the injury report anymore so those guys are going to be full health for really for the first time since like week three then there's 
just talk about Jamison Williams. I don't think he's going to play in this game, but uh, I think he's probably a week off. So if you're if you're afraid of Jamison Williams, JP, I think I think you're you're going to luck out by a week here. But where where is this um, Jaguars defense struggling to cover? Because I know I know there's one corner you really like in that group, oh, yeah. um, but but it sounds like maybe there's some issues that's surrounding him. So talk about it all. All right. So this is a. This is disguised as I love Tyson Campbell. Uh, so the Jaguars DVOA when offenses target their number one receiver is 16th in the NFL. Average. That's fine. Against number two receivers, they are 22nd. Against number three receivers, against slot receivers, they're 11th. Darius Williams has played relatively well in the slot. Against tight ends, they are 30th. So the drop off between the slot guy and the number one guy to everybody else has been really, really bad. If you go and look at the EPA allowed per target for the Jaguars this year, I think Tyson Campbell is first at negative 0.43. And that's like the third highest in the league with a minimum of 40 targets. He's behind Sauce Gardner and James Radbury. Tyson Campbell has legitimately been one of the better corners in the league. But they're starting Monteric Brown on the opposite side. A seventh-round rookie out of Arkansas and – He's a he's a cool dude, Buster Brown, great nickname, but he's just not he hasn't been great. Shaquille Griffin, when he was healthy, just hasn't been great. Darius Williams is playing in the slot, and I think he's been fine to good in the slot. He's played really well in the slot recently, but they need to figure out the corner two position because they they can't stop anybody outside. Like teams have figured out to stop throwing at Tyson Campbell because the other dude on the other side is just not that great. So I think it really comes down to if you want to beat the Jaguars in the passing game, you look away from 32 and then you try and get the Jack, get the tight ends and over the middle, get there, get that defense open over the middle, because that's where the Jaguars kind of struggle a lot in defending passes over the middle. That's why the DVOA against tight ends is so bad. They can't cover people over the middle. Well, to to follow up about that, JP, like one of the players who I think was really, you know, catching everybody's attention at the beginning of the season was Devin Lloyd. And he had a couple of games where like, I mean, he's putting up these flashy PFF grades and it's like, man, how did this guy fall as as far as he did in the draft? I know we talk about off ball linebackers all the time like that, but um, man, this guy's really making a difference. And maybe it's just kind of like, not, not necessarily the rookie wall, but some of that consistency talk that you, maybe you talked with Trayvon Walker, but like talk a little bit about, you know, the, the second line in, in the, uh, in the Jaguars defense there and what it does for their run game. And, and and what it does for for um, uh, coverage. So I think you're going to see a little bit of sequencing with the Jaguars this going into this game. They started doing it right after the Chiefs game. Devin Lloyd had a really rough game against the Chiefs. Just there were miscommunications in coverage. He wasn't running with guys that he was supposed to. He was missing tackles. He was losing gap assignments. And you can see that a little bit against the uh, Ravens. I think that's why you go and start Chad Muma instead of Devin Lloyd who the Jaguars drafted in the third round. Chad Muma has been fine as a run stopper. I think that he still leaves a lot to be desired as a pass defender. But I think Devin Lloyd has to, he has to be more consistent, just in trusting his eyes and knowing and trusting where the ball is going. I think he doesn't trust where his eyes are taking him because sometimes like it feels funny, like repeating like process, compared to results when you look at the Jaguars' team as a whole. But for Devin Lloyd, it feels a lot like the process is fine, but he's not trusting what the process is, where the process is taking him. 
he's second guessing and be like, oh, well, this gap's open. Let me go here. And then he goes into somebody else's gap as a cutback lane. And now the running back's off to the races. I think he just needs to be more consistent in trusting his eyes and trusting where the defense is taking him. Because if you trust your eyes in defense, especially as a linebacker, it'll take you to the ball. Well, I, I want to kind of expand on that and talk about the run game in, in general here, because I know, I mean, you you have a series called Establish the, the Fun on, on SB Nation. And um, I, I think at least at one point you've, you've featured the, the Detroit Lions. And, and I know on your Twitter account, you're, you're probably sick of me quote tweeting every time you say something nice about the Lions run game. But you seem to really enjoy watching it. So I'm just kind of curious as to your outlook on how that matchup is going to play out. Because like you said, I know that the Jaguars had one of the best run defenses in the league early in the year kind of slid a little bit back towards uh, average in, in, in recent weeks. So how do you see that one playing out on Sunday? This honestly is going to be a really fun battle. And I legitimately love the Lions run game. They throw everything at you. They're going to run outside zone, inside zone, power, counter, trap. They're pulling Panay Sewell from mm-hmm. tackle into gaps. It's the most fun thing you'll ever see. Watching Panay Sewell pull and just take out DBs and linebackers is the coolest thing to see in football. He's legitimately played. He's been arguably the best right tackle in football. I know Lane Johnson has been really good too, but he's he's been right up there with Lane Johnson. So it's going to be a really fun battle. I think the Jaguars run defense started off really strong. And then as soon as Foley Fatukasi got hurt, it fell off a cliff. Foley Fatukasi is the nose tackle for the, uh, for the Jaguars. They signed him from the Jets. He impacts a lot in the run game. I think he is, I think he's, first in uh for the Jaguars in average tackle depth which means he's tackling guys close to the line of scrimmage he's not he's making tackles but they're not like cheapo tackles where like six yards past the line of scrimmage like no he's making the stops I think this is gonna this is gonna be really fun to see if Foley Fatukasi is healthy if he's able to go Devon Hamilton's played really well in the middle so it's gonna be really interesting to see how they attack this Jaguars front, Jaguars front. They play a lot of five-man fronts. You're probably going to see a lot of gap scheme, a lot of power, a lot of counter, and try and get the Jaguars second level of defense moving. Try and get them going in different directions. Throw different stuff at Devin Lloyd. Throw it at Chad Muma. Try and get them out of position to try and get to try and exploit the holes. So I think it's, it's just going to be so fun to watch. I, lo- I love watching good run games go against good run defenses. Like this is just going to be really cool. Just seeing like, Panay Sewell, Frank Ragnar, Jonah Jackson has been playing awesome. Going up against those guys they have on the on the defensive side of the ball for the Jaguars, especially up front. This it's going to be so fun to watch. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for that one too. I mean, I'm excited for this entire game. One because there's minor stakes for the Lions too. Because I I I, I hate it to say it on on game week, but I'm I'm kind of a fan of the Jaguars too. Like they're they're an exciting team right now too. So um let's let's move to the the final section of our our podcast we call it the one thing we think we know where we make one prediction about the game doesn't necessarily have to be a winner or a score prediction just one thing you think is going to happen in this game we'll start off with ryan to show us how it's done Uh, i don't remember our thanksgiving predictions i don't even remember if we did a thanksgiving podcast i don't really remember anything before the 15-hour podcast if we're being completely honest wow man (laughs) you you uh, just you blacked out huh I i think i did okay um so so I'll just throw it to you, man. What's the one thing you think you know about Lions Jaguars? 
Yeah, I can definitely remind listeners that we did have a uh, preview podcast um, and I did say that it would be a one score football game. So uh, I'm pretty proud of that prediction. So uh, I'm going to try to make it three for three because I did say that the Giants game, the winner would win by multiple scores. So I'm going to get away from the scores. I want to say that coming off of the most productive game that he's had in his career, I'm on Ross St. Brown with 122 yards on Thanksgiving. I'm going to say that he outdoes himself. I'm going to say that Amon Ross St. Brown has an absolute monster game. Uh, I'm going to say that he eclipses his uh, previously set career high in receiving yards with 122. Um, and, you know, I, I think if if you're getting a receiver who's putting up those kind of numbers, you got to like the Lions' chances in this. That I believe that would make him setting his career high in three of the past four games. Like he's on, it's hard to say that it's crazy to say that he's on a tear unlike he's ever done before, considering the tear that he was on towards the end of last year, but he is playing yeah. some really good football right now. Um, JP, I'll throw it to you now. What's, what's the one thing you think, you know, about Lions Jaguars. So this is going to be kind of a, uh, a sicko kind of a, kind of a real one. Great. Oh, we're here like for that, it. man. We're here for this. <laughs> I think the Lions tight ends will catch at least two touchdowns. Okay. I think as, as a group, like I said, the Jaguars' middle-of-the-field defense is not great. If you're looking at their DVOA by splits, they're 14th in defensive DVOA on passes to the left. That's where Tyson Campbell is. They're 15th in DVOA on defensive passes to the right. And then over the middle, they are 30th. Like <laughs> There's a very steep drop-off when you get the passes over the middle. So I think if the Lions want to kind of find explosives in the passing game. They're going to line up Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot. They're going to try and get him away from Tyson Campbell and try and see if they can find some holes in the middle of that defense where, you know, the Jaguars have good athletes there, but they need to figure out how to communicate in the middle of the field. So I think the tight ends will, the tight ends might possibly have a big day. We might be in for a little bit of a shootout. This might be a real, a real fun shootout kind of game. You you led perfectly into what I was going to say, but before I do, like, the, I think the Lions, I, th- I think that's a good prediction because especially when the Lions get down into the red zone, like Jamal Williams is obviously such a big threat that he draws so much attention that the Lions have seen a lot of success just play action down there, having a, tricky, either tricky. a tight end slip out or I think it was Amon Ra last week with on the fourth and one. So um, I, I like that prediction a lot. My prediction was both teams are going to score 30 points in this game. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I think I think Ooh. we are in for a shootout. And I think. I think both teams could find success in both aspects of the game. I think the Lions might struggle to run the ball in this one because uh, I, I do think Jacksonville is pretty solid against the run, and we still don't know whether Swift is is a hundred percent or not. He's getting he's getting better. He's had a, a bigger break this time, so hopefully, gets a little more touches this week. But um, I share the face that that Ryan is currently making, which is um, extremely <laughs> doubt when you see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But uh, but yeah, no, I think this is like. We're, we're going to establish the fun on Sunday. I think it's going to be oh, a fun yeah. game. Um, hopefully, fun. hopefully with a good ending to, to keep our playoff odds or playoff hopes one more week alive. That's a, like, I just want to go into Minnesota a divisional game and, and think about the playoffs. That's all I want. Look, they had the Colts on the in the hunt graphic on Monday night football. Anything <laughs> is possible. <at> the- <laughs> I, I refuse to, ha- to have doubt that the Jaguars are out of this play- out of the playoff. <laughs> There's still a chance that like the Titans just fall off a cliff. The the Colts just 
end up being the Colts with Jeff Saturday as head coach. Like, hey, maybe we could sneak in the back door and like backdoor cover this, <laughs> backdoor cover the AFC South. That's right. I was, I was thinking like, there's no, what are you talking about? There's no, like the AFC is tough. Then I'm like, oh wait, the AFC South is not that tough. Like, okay, yeah, there, yeah there's a shot there. Look, the AFC still- South is this precarious house of cards <laughs> that like you watch the Titans every week. I'm sure JP watches a lot of Titans football, but it's just like, this is the team that's leading the division and like has as many wins as it does. Like, how are you doing this? Like, I've compared the AFC South to like Mad Max, where like, like there's just chaos. <laughs> you don't know what's happening. The Colts are hiring a guy who was on ESPN, like commentating on games a week before. The Texans are still like starting Kyle Allen at quarterback. The Titans, for some reason, just continue to do this thing where they just win games 17 to 14 every week. And then the Jaguars, like, I think the Jaguars might have the best point differential in the AFC South, and they're four and seven. So <laughs> it's a very Mad Max, like, chaos division where, like, nothing nothing makes sense. You throw all your beliefs out the window. There is no God in the AFC South. <laughs> it, is, it is just bad. It is weird football, weird times. I, I love it. Uh, all right, JP, appreciate your time here. Before we, we let you go here, I want to give uh, the people the opportunity for, for or you the opportunity to tell the people where they can find you and what they can look forward to. Yep. On Twitter, I am at Acosta32 underscore JP. I write Establish the Fun, which is a column where I think I write about teams or people that I think are fun because the NFL is fun. And I establish that. So I write that every Friday. It's going to come out tomorrow. Got some really cool players, really cool defense. Defense is kind of lined up that I'm going to write about. So check that out every Friday. Um, just follow what I do on Twitter. I post some real, post some funny stuff. Sometimes I post really cool clips of football. And most of the time I'm just like talking about anime or like yelling about the AFC South, like I did here. So <laughs> it's pretty fun. It's uh, honestly, I, I, I cannot recommend him enough on, on Twitter to follow, um, mostly because of the, the football clips, but also the commentary as well, for sure. <laughs> All right. That'll wrap things up for our first bite. Uh, Thank you all for joining us. Uh, Enjoy the game on Sunday. And then again, uh, uh, an extreme thank you to everyone who participated in our Movember event all month long. It was a lot of fun. The 2015-hour stream, 25, I don't know, 15-hour, we'll say, stream was was really good. you're getting confused. You're getting confused with the $25,000 that you raised. That's right. That is what I'm getting confused with. Uh, an incredible amount. Thank you to all everyone who joined us uh, as well during that that crazy 15-hour stream. Really, really appreciate it. Can't wait to do it again next year. I also can't wait to get a little bit more sleep because I'm clearly not 100% right now. <laughs> uh, but until next time, to JP, thank you. Ryan, thank you as always for sticking around here and uh, to our, our live audience and those of you listening at home, thank you as well. It's chaos. Be kind. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.